Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and SEMA markets. It's Tuesday, June the 21st. I'm Giulia Rusconi. And I'm Richard Woolley. Coming up this week, Beatrice Mavrolian talks about last week's global ABS conference in Barcelona and gives an overview of the current state of the European primary market. Julia speaks to senior financial analyst Kyle Wusu about Greek cooler and glass manufacturer Frigo Glass and its potential restructuring options. And I catch up with Magnus Sherman to discuss the latest moves in Ukraine's sovereign bonds. First, though, an update on Nostrum Oil and Gas, which was awarded an order convening a meeting of a single class of creditors for its scheme of arrangement at a hearing in the High Court yesterday. The scheme relates to the compromise of two series of unsecured notes totaling $1.125 billion of debt, of which $725 million matures in July 2022. The scheme company is unable to repay this amount and has also defaulted on interest payments under the notes on several occasions since July 2020. The company obtained forbearances from note holders to prevent them accelerating after the missed interest payments. The scheme is complicated by the fact that certain of Nostrum's scheme creditors are Russian institutional lenders or funds that are subject to government sanctions as a result of the invasion of Ukraine. To overcome this, the company is using what's called a scheme standstill, lasting up to six months, to give it a stable platform to obtain the required licenses from the UK, US and EU authorities that will allow it to deal with these creditors. During this period, creditors will not be able to enforce against the scheme company. Creditors who are sanctions disqualified persons will not be entitled to receive scheme consideration. The scheme as proposed does not permanently deprive those creditors of their consideration, but the consideration allocated to them will be held on bare trust until they cease to be subject to sanctions. Yesterday, Justice Meads accepted that this structure did not fracture the class. This is because the scheme confers the same rights on all creditors, but some creditors are unable to enjoy those rights by virtue of some personal characteristic that they possess. The creditors' meeting is scheduled on or after July the 11th, with a sanction hearing expected on or after July the 13th. Schemes require 75% of creditors in each class to vote in favour. About 77.7% of the company's scheme creditors had already entered into a lock-up agreement agreeing to vote in favour of the scheme, and those creditors were offered a fee of 0.5% of holdings for locking up prior to January the 14th. The restructuring involves a debt-for-debt swap and a debt-for-equity swap. The existing debt will be swapped for a new $250 million senior secured bond and a $300 million senior unsecured note, both maturing in June 2026 and governed by English law. The remaining debt will be swapped for shares, with bondholders anticipated to own 88.89% of the share capital of the company on closing. Last week, Reorg was in Barcelona for the Global ABS conference, and I chatted to high-yield reporter Beatrice Mavrolian about the goings-on. The tone of the conference overall was fairly cautious, but regarding the primary market, it was unavoidably quite pessimistic. Banks and other market observers have cut their forecasts for debt issuance this year. Conference delegates noted that the pace of leveraged buyouts has slowed. Meanwhile, banks have about 30 billion euros on their balance sheets for deals including the LBOs of Morrison's, Unilever's tea business and 888's acquisition of parts of William Hill, which they will need to syndicate before they can underwrite more debt. At the same time, panel speakers noted that CLO issuance has slowed because of the low issuance of leveraged loans. But obviously, less CLO issuance also means there's less demand for loans. And how will this impact companies with refi needs? 
Well, speakers at the conference noted that refinancing activity is likely to be very limited, with margins and coupons obviously where they are. However, fortunately, excluding a few well-known companies that do need to refinance soon, across the market, refinancing risk is largely contained because of the high volume of refis last year, which means that crucially, there isn't a refinancing wall coming up anytime soon. And is ESG still a hot topic, do you think? Yes, it was. It was mentioned in all the panels I watched. One investor, interestingly, at the conference mentioned that the the trend for um, inclusion of ESG-linked margin ratchets on new deals and talked about the difficulties um, investors face because these ESG ratchets now often result in a 15 basis point margin step down compared with typically about seven basis points before. And there's also linked to that greater demand from investors for greater objectivity in setting ESG targets and KPIs and assessing whether the company has met the targets stated within the margin ratchet. Okay, and now we're back in London. What's the primary market been up to over the past week? So Norwegian cruise operator Hurti Grutten tried to raise a 25 million euro tap of its senior unsecured bond due 2025. But despite the 11% coupon on offer, the company ultimately decided not to pursue the issuance because of market conditions, although it did say that it will monitor the market going forward. Investors said they had expected the company to raise the debt privately, but this doesn't seem to have happened. And early in the week, S&P revised the company's outlook to negative on liquidity and refinancing risk, considering the group's maturities within the next 12 months. Difficult market conditions in Europe also impacted automation software provider Kofax, which cancelled the 300 million euro tranche of its proposed term loan B and upsized the dollar-denominated tranche to 1.346 billion from 1.025 billion previously. The loan priced at a very wide 93 OID with a margin of 525 basis points over the, the base rate. Currently, there are three deals in the market. French lab group Innovi is likely to have priced its 400 million euro non-fungible term loan B add-on at E plus 500 with an OID in the range of 96 and 97 by the time this podcast is published. Dry bulk chemicals distributor Manuchar is marketing a 350 million euro five-year um, senior secured note to fund the company's acquisition by Lone Star, although many investors have been wary of considering a business that's largely focused on Latin America. And uh, diagnostics provider Affidia is marketing a 600 million euro term loan to fund its acquisition by GBL and refinance existing indebtedness. Price talk for that term loan is in the 475 to 500 basis point range above Eurobor with an OID between 95 and 96. Kylie is our senior credit analyst covering emerging markets. Kylie, you have been following Frigoglass for some time now. Could you give us some background on this name and tell us what the, the latest is? Sure. Frigoglass operates two segments. Coolers, which accounts for roughly 72% of revenue and sells cooler merchandise, mostly to beverage companies in Eastern Europe, Western Europe, and to a lesser extent, Asia and Africa. And glass, which sells glass bottles, glass containers, plastic crates, and metal crowns to beverage companies in West Africa, mostly Nigeria. The company's shareholders are working with Evercore, and Frigo Glass has retained Milbank and Perella, while its creditors have appointed Walgachel and DC Advisory ahead of upcoming debt negotiations. Frigo Glass has 70 million euros of secured bank debt and 260 million euros of senior secured notes, 
with about 67 million euros of cash at the end of April. The senior secured notes have declined from about 85 where they were trading at the end of February to about 55 where they're currently being offered. So how did we get here? Frigo Glass's 2019 uh, was actually great. The company had a one of its best years um, historically, uh, but that was followed by COVID in 2020, and then a fire at the company's Romanian plant, which is its European flagship, in July of 2021. And now Frigo Glass is grappling with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine together represented about 17% of the group's 2021 sales. So Frigo Glass has been struggling as of late. What are the near-term priorities for the company then? Liquidity is the main issue and the near-term priority for many reasons. And here are three. First, there's a lack of visibility regarding free cash flow due to uncertainty around demand in Western and Eastern Europe, as well as increased raw material and transportation costs. Two, there's execution risk. So even if Western European demand is robust, Frigoglass needs to restore production capacity of coolers in Romania. A solution is expected to be ready for July. And if Frigoglass is successful, some operational pressure may be alleviated, but still we think visibility on cash flow would be limited. And third, about 41 million of the company's cash balance is in Nigeria. So Frigo Glass would have to transfer some cash from Nigeria to its hold co. It's been able to do so in the past, but nevertheless, we think it's hard for investors to say with a high degree of confidence that the company has complete flexibility to transfer the cash it needs from Nigeria at a favorable rate. So if I was a creditor of uh, Frigo Glass, What would I be concerned uh, with? So when thinking about the concerns for the company's stakeholders, I think creditors recognize the likelihood of a restructuring. And if I were a creditor in that scenario, I would want to make sure that whatever deal gets signed, I'm not disadvantaged relative to other stakeholders. So for example, if there's new money coming into the company in the form of super senior debt that ranks above me, I would want to have an opportunity to participate. From a shareholder's perspective, The controlling shareholder, Truad, owns about 48.6% of the company and has provided about 60 60 million euros of capital on two separate occasions, so 30 million each. Um, So Truad may be willing to provide additional capital, but if I were a shareholder, I would be less inclined to do so again on a junior basis, especially given the near-term problems. And I think a concern for everyone is Frigo Glass's Russian subsidiary, Frigo Glass Eurasia, which had about 34 million of debt as of fiscal year end 2021. Some of that debt may have been with sanctioned Russian banks. So you have to find a unique solution for that, which introduces complexity and potentially lengthens the restructuring timeline. So what are the company's restructuring options and how do you see these playing out? I think the most likely outcome is that the company will try to seek financing either from third parties, existing stakeholders, or a mix of both. I would think that if investors did inject capital, they would want to do so on a super senior basis. Our Covenants team has done a lot of work on Frigo Glass and put out a piece on June 9th 
which concluded that the company can incur 27 million euros of debt ahead of existing senior secured bonds and peri pursue bank debt. It's harder to tell whether the end result here is going to be a fulsome restructuring of the entire cap stack. I think that depends at least in part on what Frigo Glass's management team and the board are seeing with regard to its prospects in Eastern and Western Europe, as well as the size of Frigo Glass's liquidity needs and whether investors have the appetite for bridge financing. Thank you for being with us, Kyle. Thanks for having me. This was great. We're now almost four months into the war in Ukraine. Magnus, do we know anything about how the Ukrainian economy is doing at this point? Yeah, we do have some indications. I mean, of course, it's not the main priority for the authorities there, um, considering what's going on. But but we do have some idea. I think it's important to point out that Ukraine had been making a lot of really good progress since 2015, when it restructured its uh, sovereign debt, um, helped or you could say nudged by the IMF. It had um, implemented a lot of important reforms and also got the economy growing um, to an extent where the government and government guaranteed debt uh, went from 80% in 2015 to about 50% in 2021. And that figure was um, was going down at the uh, at the start of this year. But then, of course, the, um, the war broke out. And then what happened, of course, is is the government uh, tax revenue collapsed by about 50%. Uh, there was a lot of new uh, expenses uh, related to the war. Also, millions of people left the country and were internally displaced. So this, of course, has a, a really big impact on the, uh, on the economy. The NBU, the National Bank of Ukraine, um, estimates that the March uh, GDP was about 44% lower than March of 2021. And they expect that the, um, the the economy will contract by about a third in 2022 altogether. And um, the NBU, by the way, has stepped in and fixed the exchange rate and also implemented uh, capital controls to avoid the uh, local currency, the Rivnia, uh, uh, collapse in that one. Um, this has all created a financing gap of about $5 billion every month. And so this um, budget deficit is covered uh, in a couple of ways. Um, Ukraine is selling uh, Rivnia bonds to uh, investors who are willing to take that risk, um, but also to the NBU. So it's sort of self-funded by the central bank at this point. Um, But then importantly, it's also getting a lot of financial aid from outside, uh, about $17 billion worth so far. And there's another $9.5 billion package coming uh, from the EU, or at least it's, it's on the table for for discussions later this week. Uh, and importantly, Ukraine is still servicing all of its bonds, including the 13 euro bonds it has outstanding. And um, what's been the reaction among the bonds we follow? Yeah, so the, uh, the Ukraine's sovereign bonds have uh, collapsed in price. They were above par. So if we look at the 2022s, they were above par uh, a year ago. Then they started declining uh, in the months before the war, and then they lost about 70 points to the 30s when uh, Russia invaded in late February. They have since climbed back to the 70s, but now started weakening a little bit again because of this um, sentiment that we may be looking at a longer than expected war with Russia and Russia also gaining some momentum in the in the fighting. Um, so again, it's important to say that Ukraine has said they will pay these bonds. So, um, so that's why it has been able to climb back. And if we just look at the next maturity, 
in 2023. That's in the 40s, so uh, uh, con uh, considered way, way more risky. Um, so in terms of uh, what people are looking at next, uh, of course, it's to to follow up on, on this payment in September when the 2022s are due. And uh, then, of course, also any movement toward a, a ceasefire or even uh, a peace agreement in Ukraine. Thanks very much, Magnus. Next Wednesday, June the 29th, Reorg is hosting a webinar called European Primary Update, what to expect when the market reopens. Our high-yield reporter Beatrice Mavrolion will be joined by David Leland, Head of Capital Markets at BC Partners, Jerome Hingenhoff, Credit Research Executive Director at Alcentra, and Mark Remington, Portfolio Manager at EFG Asset Management. They will discuss the reopening and the outlook on the European primary markets following a difficult first half of the year during which markets were shut down by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You can find more information on how to attend the webinar on our website. As a reminder, more information on, on all of the situations and events discussed in this podcast today are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening. Mm -hmm.